We're delighted tonight to have a special speaker with us, Brother Bob Lanning, who's a missionary to Andhra Pradesh, India, a region in southeast India, where he is part of a team that establishes churches in houses and villages across that part of the world. I think right now you've got around over 200 groups, 275 groups. The groups baptized 40 people last year, and this is deep Hindu and Muslim territory. Primarily tobacco farming is the industry in the area. So we're just thrilled to have Bob worship with us when he's in the States six months out of the year, and he's getting ready to go back for another six months. And so Bob is going to bring us the word. But right now, let's pray, and then I'll turn it to you, Bob. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to hear your word through a man of God who has shared your gospel all over the world, from Hawaii to India. Lord, we just pray you give us hearts to hear what you have us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's an honor to share. I was telling Pastor when he asked me, I said, I'm intimidated. These guys, they have some really outstanding teachers, and I don't know if I'm, uh, I'm going to be able to measure up. Well, we're going to do James 3, 1 through 12. If you want to turn to that, we're going to read it first of all. James 3, 1 through 12. I probably wouldn't have tried to do this if it hadn't been that this is something that God has been on me about for many, many years, as, as uh, I think you will see. Me and my big mouth, you know. Um, I think we can all identify with that problem. It, uh, it sure gets us in a lot of trouble. Let me demonstrate by reading the passage already. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual able to control the entire body as well. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we guide their entire bodies. Look at ships, too. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rudder, wherever the pilot's inclination directs. So, too, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by humankind, but no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be. So, my brothers and sisters, a spring does not pour out fresh water and, uh, and, and bitter water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a vine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring produce fresh water. Well, why is what I would start with. Why is the tongue such a problem? Well, a friend of mine used to say, you cannot be too careful. He would say that all the time. You cannot be too careful. And that's kind of the way it is with our mouths, you know. You just cannot be too careful what you say. In my wife's family, for instance, her father, his personality was such that he would be sarcastic a lot of it. He would say in sarcasm what he didn't feel comfortable saying straight out. 
My wife kind of inherited that from me. She tends to be sarcastic, and so do I. So it gets to be kind of a zoo of, uh, <laughs> of complimenting each other sarcastically, you know. And uh, I didn't even realize I was that way until I was about, I don't know, 35, and someone brought it to my attention, and I, I never even saw it uh, in myself, and I realized I'm all the time being a smart aleck, you know what I'm saying, sarcastic things. It's it's not uh, – it, it doesn't seem evil. It doesn't seem – uh, wicked, you know, it doesn't seem uh, hurtful. Many times it is, though. Sarcasm can be very hurtful. Um, and and I've, I've, the Lord's really drawn my attention to that. And it was 35 years since then, you know. Well, we want to start out with that, right? you know, taking it right from the top verse like, we, like we've done in the past. And, and we cover a couple of different things here. Um, look at that first verse. Come back to it here. Um, not many of you should become teachers. We'll, we'll deal with these first before we come to the tongue thing. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. Well, uh, yeah, uh, I want to go. First, this is a kind of a. I could t- I could go on for several hours just about this verse because it brings up a whole host of issues in my experience and my and in my values. For instance, let's turn to uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Matthew 15, 17. <coughs> Matthew 18, 15 through 17. This is this is a, a, a very well known uh, uh, passage. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you, so that at the, at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be established. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So he refuse, if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or tax collector, or excommunicate him, if you will. Well, that is the uh, direct, that is the, the order that we're led to or directed as believers for, for the rank and file, if you will. But remember that this, this started out by saying, be careful if you're a teacher. <laughs> and, and I want to point you to Timothy 5, uh, 1 Timothy 5.19. Look what it says about elders or leaders, teachers, if you will. 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. Do not accept an accusation against an elder unless it can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those, who, uh, those guilty of sin must be rebuked before all as a warning to the rest. Now you notice in Matthew 18, you have a progression. You go to them individually, then you take one or two others with you, trying to get them to, to, to acknowledge the sin and repent, and then you take them before the church. Elder, straight to the church. <laughs> Did you see it? Did you see it? Now, in practice, what I what I was saying, I could I could teach on and on about is that in practice, neither one of these these passages are practiced by and large. What I mean to say is, in religious organizations, like I'm a part of a, a religious organization, a missions organization, or a denomination. 
uh, these things are not practiced. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, uh, in most churches, uh, if a pastor messes up, he's just shipped off. He's just moved. He's just, you know, uh, removed or moved, right? Uh, if someone in the church messes up, what do you do? You go to the pastor. You go to one of the elders and say, this is what's happening, and, and I need your help, and what you, what you, what you, and then the pastor gets involved, and the elders get involved, and so forth. We don't, we, in practice, we don't go to a person individually, and the individual is like in an organization. What we actually practice is corporate structure. We go to the boss, don't we? You know? We go to the, the leader in the mission. We go to the, to the leader in the church. And, and, and wrap the guy out and hope that, you know, something can be resolved. Uh, uh, we don't want to go to him individually, personally, uh, and we don't. But that's what the scriptures are very clear about. And quite honestly, I have never seen these, these scriptures practiced, except in rare exceptions. I have seen people brought before the whole congregation. One time I, I failed badly as, as pastor, as an elder, and uh, I wasn't brought before the congregation. Should have been. Should have been. wasn't from being familiar with this passage at times, years and years and years and years ago. But um, uh, I was, you know, uh, discipled and, and cared for and properly restored, uh, which many, many, uh, uh, many, many denominations do not, especially missionaries. If you mess up, you're gone. They do not. There's no restoration uh, process for for missionaries. If you if you have a moral failure or you know fraud or anything like that, you just you're, you're done with missions um, as being a missionary. Well, uh, so our passage says, be, uh, think think twice about be, about being a teacher, right? Uh, uh, because it can um, uh, so much is going to be required of you. Um, let me go back and read it again just to refresh your memory. <clears throat> Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. So elders are held to a higher standard. Um, let, let's go. Let's look at at First Timothy three, uh, three uh, one through seven. Is that that right? That doesn't sound right. Did I write, did I write it right? Yes, First Timothy three one through seven. This saying is trustworthy. If someone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. The overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. An able teacher. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not contentious, free from love of money. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well and keep his children in control without losing his dignity. But if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become arrogant and fall into the punishment that the devil will exact. And he must be well thought of by those outside the faith, so that he may not fail, fall into disgrace and be caught by the devil's trap. So elders, you see, are held to a higher standard. And, and you want to be, uh, you know, uh, be sure that you, um, you really want to be um, held accountable to that degree and that you measure up and that your designated elders and so forth and leaders, teachers, uh, measure up to those standards. Um, all right. And, and, and remember, 
the passage will come up here about being judged according to how you judge. Uh, that we will be the way that we teach will be judged according to our teaching. The, the degree that we hold other people to the to the truth and to the faith, we ourselves will be held to the faith and the truth. Uh, then verse two in our passage uh, in James, for we all stumble in many ways. I want to emphasize all elders, teachers. Rank and file, if you will, uh, adherence in the church. Uh, if someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual able to control the entire body as well. It amuses me watching what's going on in our politics today at the, the White House briefings and so forth and watch, watching Obama, President Obama parse his words. I mean, his mind is just almost smoking as he tries to think of all the ramifications of everything that he He's saying and how it might be taken, how you know, and, and you can appreciate the pressure he's under. And uh, I, I don't know how they do it. It, uh, it makes me crazy. <laughs> I mean, I try to, I try to be really careful about what I say, but in the end, again, I, what you see is what you get. I mean, you know, in the end, I'll fail, and uh, if I don't measure up, then we'll have to move on and <laughs> go our separate ways or something, because. Uh, uh, you know, like Popeye says, I am what I am, you know, and I'm still still in process with the Lord. Well, let's look at verses 3 and 4. And and if he puts bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then, then we guide their entire bodies. And if we, we put. Uh, look at ships, too. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rubber, rudder wherever the pilot's inclination directs. Uh, maybe you hadn't heard this, but... You know, they've done a lot of studying of the Titanic. One of the things they determined is that its rudder was, was by the engineers, was, was too small. It, could not, it was of such a mass that it could not turn as fast as it should have been able to. And if it had had a proper rudder, it might have survived this impact with the, with the, uh, with the iceberg or must have missed it altogether. But it didn't turn fast enough. Uh, and as you well know, rudders are very, very small compared to the mass of any ship. It's, it's an amazing thing. Now, uh, I was a Navy chaplain and, and fascinated by ships and planes and things. And, uh, do you know that nuclear carriers, when they're, they're, they're full out, uh, and they, they, they can go hard over on a turn, and you know how the, the hangar deck is below the flight deck? It's the first one below it where all the planes are stored. When they go hard over, that thing lifts so heavily that when you look out the port where the elevator is that you raise the planes, you know, up to the flight deck, all you can see is water. You can't see any sky. She's laid over so hard. It's a thousand feet long and better and laid over so hard, all you can see is water. Now, that's a rudder. It actually has four rudders. It has one behind every, every prop, every wheel. <laughs> and uh, I mean, they're, they're incredible. It's incredible that they can maneuver a massive thing like that, especially at that speed. Uh, but you can see, you can go... Um, both ways, too little rudder or an awful lot of rudder. Uh, but the issue is with the tongue, you know. Uh, I'm fascinated by some people who take a great deal of pride in their control of their tongue, and in their pride they sin. I mean, you know, they have so much more control over their tongue than I do and some of the rest of us. But in doing so, they become very prideful in how they're very, they don't, you know, they pride themselves in not making a mistake with their tongue. One sin is just as great as the other. You're not controlling it or controlling it uh, and taking such great pride in it. Let's look at verse 5. 
So too, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest afire. I was thinking today of examples of little small things that have such a powerful impact on, on us. Like, for me, just for example, parasites. Parasites are a huge issue, you know, when you live in developing countries. I've had uh, just a host of them. Uh, and uh, it, it, I don't know how many times I've had dysentery. It just, you know, I can't count them. Um, but uh, one I got um, was Chagas. Um, in Central or South America, I used to travel all over the world um, and help church planters anywhere they were in the world. I've been on all the continents in the far corners of them, but now I, I just concentrate on India. Uh, but I got a thing called Shaga. It's also, also called traveler's disease. A beetle can bite you, drop, it usually drops out of, of thatched roofs while you're sleeping, but it'll bite you, and as much as 10 years later, the impact of his bite will attack your heart, and you get a virus, and, and I did, and it's called, you develop a cardiomyopathy or congestive heart failure. So I have a, a pacemaker and defibrillator and um, have massive damage to my electrical wow. system of my heart. And, um, I mean, like my, when it, on the onset, I had worked really hard. I had planted a, a water line for a sprinkler system at my father-in-law's house and then come here and, and took the transmission out of my daughter's van and got it rebuilt and put it back in and then I went down to my son's house in Houston. I was just back for, for a short time. I was trying to help my kids out and all and all of a sudden uh, I'd helped my uh, son put a, a back door on the house and all of a sudden I got hit and I was just, I slept, we had to go to California and I slept the whole way there except to, to go to the bathroom and eat and my pulse was discovered when I went to the emergency room was like 29, normal was about 80. And my blood pressure is like 75 over 25, normal is 120 over, over 80, you know. I mean, it's just barely functional. And um, um, all because of the stupid little bug, turned out, thing called Chagas, a little beetle. Um, another one, uh, hydatid disease. Oh, crazy. I, I got this parasite over in India. Um, and I know exactly the village. I got it in, ironically, because I went back there and, and realized what was happening. It, uh, sheep and dogs are involved in the cycle of this parasite, uh, the fecal material from, from sheep and dogs. And um, uh, I, I got I got blisters on my liver. I started getting, oh, you have no idea how big your liver is. It's really about this big in our bodies. It's huge. And um, I got these, these uh, uh, cysts, not blisters, cysts on my liver and had the parasites in them. And here, the doctors, they couldn't determine what it was, but I called up a doctor in Singapore and a doctor, two doctors in India, and they both said, you've got a data disease. It's very common there. And um, uh, they have a medication for it. So I had them DHL the medication to me, and I, I started taking it in a few months, I was fine. Um, but a stupid little thing, you know, like, like a parasite, uh, it turned, I went back to that village uh, a, a few years later, actually. They have a lot of goats and sheep. And they, when they wash their stainless steel they, in India, they all eat with stainless steel uh, glasses, uh, plates, and everything. You know, we eat with our hands. They don't use utensils at all. And um, um, when they wash them, they put them outside to dry. Goats are walking by. Dogs are walking by, you see. And, and you have fecal material, you have urine, you know. And, and uh, 
And so you see the cycle there that can take place. So you're eating off a plate that may have been infected um, by this very small thing. You see this very small germ even. It's not even a, not even a mosquito, if you will. But like I've had malaria three or four times, and, and uh, that comes from mosquito, you know. Right now they have an epidemic of, um, of um, dinghy fever all over India. Everybody knows somebody that's died from dinghy fever. And, and you, there's no cure. There's no uh, prevention. And you can be dead in three or four days. It attacks your plasma and your blood, and you just can't be saved. And uh, mosquito, little mosquitoes. I'm, we're talking about that passage about the smallest thing can have such a dramatic effect, you know, on a ship, a horse, our bodies, uh, our lives, if you will. Um, I, I have a big swollen leg. Um, I've had for 35 years from a mosquito in the Philippines. Um, smallest thing, but it affects your whole life, the rest of your life. I have to wear a compression hose, you know, to keep the fluid squeezed out of it. And uh, it can affect, you know, your life <laughs> for the rest of your life. Uh, I was reminded, I was just asking, Pastor, I'm going to ask you all to pray for me today when we get done. Uh, I've got a, a, a bleeder inside of my eye. Not, I mean, it looks perfect, quite, but inside I've got a bleeder. just happened day before yesterday, and it... I'm looking at you kind of like through a screen door. I have all this blood in my eye, inside the eye. And the, the doctor said the viscous, which is the back side of the eye right next to the vesica, has separated from the retina, and um, it's still separating. So it uh, has to be monitored. And it can result in a torn retina, but only like in one in 40 cases. So I'm just saying that here's the thing so small in my eye, but it's affecting me so much. I mean, you're... You're really kind of goofy to me. As I look down, it's hard to read my notes because it's not just floaties. It's a, a lot of blood in my uh, inside. Uh, but it's just another example of, of how the smallest thing can affect your whole um, it's, uh, function, you know, your, your, your whole life. And uh, the tongue, see, the tongue is, is a key example in our passage of how the tongue can affect your, your relationships, huh? your joy, your peace, your, your relationship with the look, tongue. Everything, you know, even your work, your position, your your promotability, etc. Et it goes on and on. Boy, the mouth can, the tongue can sure get us in a lot of trouble. Well, let's go to verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes, and the entire body sets fire to the course of human existence, and is set on fire by hell. <laughs> the tongue. <laughs> James isn't here tonight. I was kind of hoping he would be, but because uh, he has police background, you know, sheriff and all, deputy. Um, you know, police have a license to lie. You understand that? Police, police can lie to you all they want. There's no, there's no problem with police lying to you. They get you in interrogation room and tell you any lies they want. Anything they can tell you to get you to say what they want you to say is okay. There's no law against that. But you lie to them and see what happens. You're going to jail, boy. Huh? You lie to police, you can go to jail. It's, it's even a federal offense if you lie to a federal agent, you know. Uh, and and uh, if you refuse to talk, you can be charged with obstruction of justice. It's not uncommon. And, you know, if we, we get pulled over, just try refusing to answer the officer's question to see what happens. You'll find yourself in cuffs in just about, you know, two minutes flat. <laughs> huh? They'll haul you out of that car and cuff you, take you in, impound your car, cost you hundreds of dollars to recover it. If your wife is with you, they'll leave them by the side of the road. 
They, they won't allow her to drive it, you know, drive it home. Mm-mm. No, that's her refusing to talk. Now, why why do they act like that? Well, and any they can ask you any question they want. They can ask you how many times. Well, I won't be crude, but they can ask you personal questions. <laughs> you know, anything they want. And you can't say that's not an appropriate question. I mean, you can go ahead and try it. Just go ahead and put your hands behind your back when you do. I mean, you know, uh, uh, it, it, the system is designed for them to be able to make you talk. Why do you think it is so important for you to talk? Half the guys wouldn't be in jail if they just kept their mouths shut. Most of them gave the 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 lead. You see, the, let let slip that little bit of information that they would have rather kept to themselves, but rather not have said, and the, the, the police are on it. They've got it. They're gone. You know, they, they can make their case. Not from just what he said, but it gets them to, to, to the truth um, or for them to at least be able to prove what they want to prove. Uh, uh, they know that your tongue or your mouth will expose your heart and your actions. They know that. And that's why it's such a, a routine thing and a normal thing in law enforcement. Um, just like the scriptures say, and they, they practice it. Well, let's look at verses 7 and 8. For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by humankind. But no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You ever wish you could take back something you said? <laughs> <laughs> like the toothpaste back in the tube? I mean, you know, uh, good luck on that. Uh, you know, how about words in anger with your spouse uh, or your parents? Uh, you know, <laughs> sure wish I hadn't said that. Um, words to get what you want. You know, many times we'll, we'll kind of reshape the truth, <laughs> retell the story to get what we want. Uh, Obama's, uh, President Obama is up against a tremendous firestorm right now for 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 uh, saying some things that just aren't proven to be true, and uh, uh, maybe he wishes he could take them back. I don't know. Uh, he may before it's all over. Uh, I, ha- I I bought ten acres of land from from a friend. We went up to, uh, a team of us went up to Washington State back in 1981 and planted a church and. Uh, uh, a fellow fellow team member of the church planning team bought 20 acres and offered to sell me half of it. And I wanted I wanted to to buy it. Um, uh, I used to be in real estate here in Texas years ago when I was planting church down in Corpus Christi. And so I knew something about what what we needed and drafted a uh, going to buy on a contract for deed. And um, uh, uh, I I know I recognize now that what I told him. Uh, I, I shaped the truth so that he would be agreeable to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Uh, I didn't lie. Don't misunderstand me. I didn't I didn't, didn't misrepresent it, but I I, 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 I I presented it in such a way. See, so so it was very agreeable. Okay, and um, uh, that was a source of conflict between us uh, in years to come because I I realize now that he didn't understand. He he wasn't all that well educated. And uh, he didn't he didn't understand the full impact. I mean, what it came down to is in Washington State, you know, we have a lot of these fir trees, and they're worth like thousand dollars a piece. They're, they're my age, and and this this land had my my half of the land had more good trees than his half did, and he wanted the half that didn't have as many good trees. 
So I didn't point out to him he was choosing the wrong wrong half. All right. So so the contract for deed specified the trees on my land were my trees. You know they went with the sale. But in, he said to me, uh, you will uh, make sure I have enough trees to build a log house. And I said, oh sure, no problem. I'll make sure you do. And I was sincere about that. However, the trees for a log house are about this big. And the trees for for tim for logging, you know, are <laughs> like this, and so you can't you can't really log the trees that are for log houses. They're more like you know 12 inches size. And the timber, he went into my land and stole $28,000 worth of trees, $25,000 worth of trees, afterward to, to uh, because he realized he he made a mistake <laughs> that I had a lot more valuable trees than he had at the time. He didn't know anything about trees. Neither did I, for that matter, but I knew that I had a lot more nice trees than he had, but I assured him he'd have enough to build a log house, which was our dream to build log houses up there. And uh, anyhow, my point is is that we can uh, um, uh, talk to get what we want. You know what I mean? We can present things in a way to get what we want, um, just like we can get in trouble <laughs> with our tongue in so many other ways. Um, and, and, and and we can use words to cover our six o'clock. You know what your six o'clock is. I mean, you know, uh, we can can shape words or choose words to cover ourselves, um, and then we can get busted. <laughs> you know, for for what we've said. Um, you know, I learned as a boy that it was safer to lie than it was to tell the truth. Now, that sounds funny, but a lot of people, a lot of children, discover this. I, I found, I, I did a graduate degree in psychology and counseling, and it's one of the things you find out about. I found out about myself through that way. When I was a boy, my father, we we, we lived in a house that was uh, 185 years old. And in the 1950s, my father remodeled it, and he was building the stairs to the second floor. It was actually a story and a half, you know, the dormers. Um, and um, this was up in Maryland on Chesapeake Bay. And uh, I was in the bathroom, all right, uh, and there was no toilet paper. So I called out and asked my sisters to get me some toilet paper, and they wouldn't do it. And I said a bad word. Now, I was so used to saying curse words at school, and my father cursed a lot. He was a master sergeant in the Army, and, well, he cursed a lot, and I learned it from him. As a matter of fact, I got thrown out of the first grade for swearing, and they asked me where I learned how to talk like that, and I said, my daddy. You know, <laughs> that didn't bode well with my daddy. Uh, <laughs> but my father heard me say the curse word. I didn't hear myself say the curse word. I didn't realize I had. Now, I was like about eight, nine years old, okay? My father was, was 6'2 and weighed 215 pounds, and uh, he had a temper, and uh, he beat me and, and to make me tell the truth. He heard me, you see. And he said, if you don't tell the truth, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to beat you to death. Because he was determined to get me to tell the truth. And I didn't realize I was lying. So finally, to save my life, if you will, I said, okay, I did it. I did it. You know? And for the rest of my life, up until to middle age, I believed in my heart it was safer to lie than it was to tell the truth. I would always lie rather than tell the truth. See? I'm saying about the tongue, you know, our choice of uh, it, 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 it has the power to shape our lives, to change every, change reality for you, or to make your own reality, if you will. Yeah. So that's what I was saying, that, uh, teaching this passage 
uh, to me was was uh, uh, a welcome, you know, because it's just so close to my heart and a passion, passion of mine. And you'll see even more so as I share some other passage, uh, scriptures with you. All right. Um, let's go on, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to do 9 through 12 because it's kind of a, of a segment, if it's all right. 9 through 12. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, brothers and sisters. A spring does not pour out fresh water and pure water from the same opening, does it? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a vine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring produce fresh water. Uh, I was uh, out to lunch with a pastor here just I think day before yesterday of a kind of dogmatic church, a Bible-believing church, but uh, pretty dogmatic. Uh, by that I mean, you know, uh, the sacredness of the word stands above all else, stands above walking with God, knowing God, experiencing God, sacredness of the scriptures. I don't know if you understand that distinction. In some churches, that's, that's, a, that's their primal, I mean, you know, their main thing, the sacredness of the word. And so when he found out that I was with Youth of the Mission, that was it. We were done. Because he thinks of Youth of the Mission as being a charismatic organization. Now, truth is fact, Youth of the Mission is a non-denominational organization, has charismatic, has Baptist, has everything, has Mennonites, has everything under the sun you can even imagine. People from churches like Generations, so forth and so forth. Uh, but in his mind, you know, it's charismatic, and that was the end of, of the, you know, time together. Uh, I, I just took him out to lunch to get to know him because I didn't, I hadn't, I hadn't even noticed the church until, until recently. Um, and... Uh, I have to spend my six months when I'm back here in the country trying to raise funds for these pastors and all for this work in India. It, it takes takes a lot. And um, so I'm all the time, you know, trying to get together with pastors and talk, have the opportunity to speak and that kind of thing. Um, now, uh, for myself, you're familiar with the Word of Faith. Word of Faith, uh, you know, Kenneth Copeland and uh, Hagee and such, Word of Faith. I, I call that another gospel. For me, that's, that's a passion with me. But I realized it, that this guy was treating me the same way I think of Word of Faith. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> that was a bit better than he is. Yeah. I mean, you know, Word of Faith people love the Lord, love the Lord, just with all their hearts and try to walk with God. But their take on certain scriptures is just not acceptable to me. And, 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 and I judge them. I judge them. I call it another gospel. And, and have very little tolerance for him. But the Lord really convicted me about my attitude. And that's a prime thing about what comes out of this, this port, you know, <laughs> this tongue, is our attitude is exposed very quickly. And, you know, I was talking about policemen, you know, and, and uh, they pick up on our attitudes pretty quick <laughs> from our words and, and deal with us accordingly, treat us accordingly. Uh, you know, Baptists in my day, uh, uh, Baptists were called, you know, back when I was a boy, they were called the, the Babylon of Revelation, you know. Uh, I mean, the, I'm sorry, Baptists called Roman Catholics. Baptists called Roman Catholics the Babylon of modern day, the Babylon of Revelation. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that uh, they were the ones that God was going to bring harsh judgment on and no grace whatsoever for Roman Catholics. Not so true today. But, you know, back when I was a Pentecostal boy, um, the, Baptist, the Baptists didn't have much grace for Pentecostals either in those days. But um, uh, again, 
I'll just say you can't be too careful <laughs> about about the things you say and about the, about the attitudes that you have. You cannot be too careful. Now, in our passage that we read, it's, you know, it talks a lot about you shouldn't get. Uh, I don't remember all the examples, but you shouldn't get uh, uh, salt water out of a, a, a sweet springer, you know, and so forth and so forth. You know, you shouldn't sh- cursing shouldn't come out of the same mouth as blessing, you know, all that. Okay, well, I was thinking about this, and you know, um, there are examples of of where it's okay for the same for different opposites opposites to come out of the same thing. You take a heat pump, for instance. A heating heating device for your house, you know, the air conditioner turns around and pumps heat, pumps air conditioning. Uh, you might have someone. Do you have any of them in this building? Uh, uh, the office. Yeah, there you go. In the office. Um, some of you may have them in your homes. Uh, it it can um, uh, almost automatically switch between the two, you know, and start depending on the on the temperature. Your kitchen faucets, you know, the kind that uh, the cold and the hot all comes out one. You don't have two, but just one, and and and. And depending on how you move that thing, it determines whether how hot or how cold it is. All coming out of the same faucet. Um, uh, in my in my car, I have a climate control, and the climate control, you know, keeps the temperature the same winter, summer. You know, it goes from air conditioning to heat automatically, and that's acceptable. That's normal. Um, uh, these programmable thermostats, many of them can go from heat to uh, to air conditioning just automatically. Matter of fact, someone was telling me the other day this this thing you have to switch it between heat and, and uh, AC. You have to do it manually. You know the switch, and they were very annoyed by that. They thought it should do it on its own, and most of them do. <laughs> and then down in the Philippines, the, the military, the, uh, uh, they're trained to be warriors. They're trained to kill people. They're down in the Philippines right now, saving people's lives. The same soldiers. You see that coming out of the same person. So there are many things like that that it's quite acceptable. Um, I uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I had an accident. The only one I've had in like 25 years but it was right down there by Burger King on 144. It, it was sleeting in the wintertime, and um, uh, a lady a lady pulled out from the curb. And, uh, I was turning left into Whataburger. I mean into Burger King, and she pulled out from the curb. And I didn't realize she had, and I hit her. Just it, not so so bad, but it it messed up the front of her little uh, one of those new be- bugs, you know, the new modern version of the, the beetle, and um, it bent her wheel. Now it made her tire flat. And an officer came along and took the report and so forth. It was my fault. I mean, you know, I didn't yield. Um, and he offered to change her tire for her so she could not have to call wrecker. And uh, I didn't offer, <laughs> which I should have done. But I thought that was superb. Here's an officer that ordinarily would be writing tickets, offered to get out there in that cold sleep, you know, wet and rain and change your tire for her so she can drive home. That was, I thought that was really sweet. That was pretty precious. Uh, maybe unusual, I don't know, but um, I haven't seen anything quite like it. It was great. Um, the same officer, see, the writes tickets, is changing the tire. Um, I, when I read this passage, I think, I, I think in terms of a bipolar Christian. <laughs> you know, bipolar is <laughs> kind of schizophrenic. You know, one minute they're just sweet as they can be, and the next minute they're they're raging, raving, and raging. Um, uh, but but that's that's not as as psych as psychotic as you might think it is. It happened to me just the other day. <laughs> just the other day. Sunday, Sunday, I was at another church Sunday morning. 
and they uh, invited me to do a presentation. And and uh, it was the day before Veterans Day, and I'm a veteran. I was chaplain in the Navy and so forth, and, and I'm very tender about you know, wounded warriors and the families of wounded warriors and, and the warriors that didn't come home. And, and I, I um, when I prayed, uh, I, I included them in my prayer and tell them I was going to, I started to get choked up. I, I, I tend to be weepy. I can't do funerals because I can't, because I was asking about funerals the other day. I can't do them. Uh, I, I, I get so emotional I can't talk, um, especially with someone I knew. I just absolutely not a possibility. But anyhow, um the same day, uh, Jay and I were going, I can't remember where we are going, but I was driving the car, and she saw me just get, you know, tight, almost trembling. And she said, what in the world's wrong with you? And I realized I was beating the crap out of some out of a guy who had done me wrong. Now, he's the same guy who was very tender and sobbing, I mean, you know, and, and choked up uh, uh, several hours before. Beating the crap out of somebody in his mind, the fantasy. <laughs> See what I mean? Bipolar Christian. I mean, we don't realize it's not right. Scripture says very plainly it's not right. It shouldn't have not to be. But it's more common than maybe we want to acknowledge. It reminds me of the, uh, of the pastors of stories they tell between themselves. But, but you know, people coming to church can be ranting and raving with the wife and the husband, you know, fighting and fuming, and they drive in the parking lot, and they're just all screaming. How are you doing? Oh, fine, 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 wonderful, wonderful, you know? And they come out of church and, and, and smiling and happy and get back in the car, and wow, they're at it again, you know, just that quick. It's, uh, it, it's kind of, it's, it's funny, but it's not atypical. It's kind of, quite often happens, you know? Um, putting our best foot forward, <laughs> Uh, here, let's see. There, in relation to this passage, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, what's the, what? Yeah. What is the? What is the remedy? What is? I'm trying to think of the word. What is the remedy to this dilemma of this thing? Huh? What is the remedy of this bipolar Christian? <laughs> this, this, this. Uh, 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 sarcasm and and uh, inappropriate words and 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 hurting people with our words unnecessarily and such and such. Uh, so many things I could go on and on, and uh, we've talked about several. There are three realms in my way of thinking of people's experience with God. There are people who who are just ignorant, like the people I work with in India. They've never even heard of Jesus. They've never heard the word, the name. There's that. Then there are people, like in America, who are acquainted with Jesus. They know about Jesus, all right? But, but they, they, they haven't received the Lord. They haven't submitted the Lordship of Christ or anything. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I have a bumper sticker on my car that may or may not bless you. It says, um, if you ignore Jesus, there's hell to pay. <laughs> and, and it is the truth of American people. Almost all Americans know about Jesus, but if you ignore Jesus, there's consequences, all right? So there's people who are completely ignorant. There are people who are acquainted with Jesus. And then there are people who know God and walk with God, all right? Now, you see, in there somewhere you receive Jesus. We talk about, you know, born again. We know about being born again and, and, and making a, a decision for Christ. Well, 
Let me check my time here. Okay. Um, and 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 that that is yet another stage I should have written in here. And that person becomes become I call them stillborn. I mean they don't go any further. They just get saved. You know what I'm saying? They, they never mature past that place. But then there are people who know God and walk with God, and hopefully that's what that's who we are, and that's why we're here tonight. Did you ever hear the saying that the multitudes come on Sunday, the, uh, the disciples come on Sunday night? And Peter, James, and John come on Wednesday. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> people who know God and walk with God. Um, uh, so what I'm advocating is knowing God and walking with God. That the only remedy I know to this problem or this thing is knowing God and walking with God. Okay? Now, let's look at a passage um, in terms of, this, of the remedy. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.17, a familiar passage, I think, to many of you. When you hear it again, you'll, you'll recognize it right away. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it's very simple. Pray constantly, pray without ceasing. Huh? Now, what does that mean? I mean, you know, how do you do your work, how do you watch television, how do you get along praying without ceasing? <coughs> it's kind of like this device here where it's just on the whole time, or your recorder, on on constantly, where we're we're receiving, we're receptive to the Lord, and listening for a cue. One of the ways I've learned to walk with the Lord and to hear from God is on the most simple, uh, mediocre things, <coughs> mediocrity sort of things. I'll start out the door, and the and the Lord will remind me of something that I need. And and I'll turn around and go back and get it. And I've had to train myself to do it because I tend to be stubborn, you know, and be bothered. And sometimes I don't need it, but it doesn't matter. I've listened to the Lord and obeyed the Lord and gone back and gotten it. You follow me? Uh, the simplest thing, um, I'm talking about a wrench when I'm working on the car or a, or a jacket when it's too cold to go out and get firewood for my airtight, you know, thing, so forth. So it's just simplest things. And, and, and um, I'm talking about walking that way. Pray constantly. It, it's hearing constantly, huh? Um, uh, being ministered to constantly by the Holy Spirit, so that when you start to say, how many times you start to say something, you realize the Lord doesn't want you to say it, and you, you're kind of stuck. You don't know where to go from there. You don't know how to stop saying what you're saying. You're going to say it anyway. It happens to me quite often, you know. And I know that the Lord wants me not to say it. Um, let me say the other side. You know, I didn't didn't I made a big note in myself, and I missed it. Um, you know the thing I was saying about there are many things like this, like this, uh, you know that that you get hot and cold out of the same thing and and so forth. Now the things that we should not get, you know, um, uh, shouldn't be opposites. Well, t- take for instance our propensity about faith and works for 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 millennial. There's been the battle and denominations about faith and works, the value of the, uh, this 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 book of James Luther called. Uh, straw. We were talking about this, Greg. Yeah, Luther called it straw because it flew in the face of his salvation by faith. Right. You see, and he couldn't equate the two. And human nature is it's got to be one or the other. Can't be both. Just no no possibility. Cannot be both. But God is much broader than we are in his thinking and, and, and able to encompass both ends of the spectrum. We find ourselves not a grace and law. Grace and law. See, extremes, and, and Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. You don't get it, do you? You know, the whole thing about that. Eternal security versus fallen from grace. You know, eternal security, Calvin, 
uh, Arminians who have fallen from grace, that you can, if you apostatize, you know, and deny that you ever ever knew the Lord, you're, 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 you're cooked, you know. Uh, how about David, a man after God's own heart? I, right after 9-11, I preached a sermon. I was deeply affected by 9-11. I still am to this day, and I hope I always am. Uh, the Twin Towers and all, it just, it just, it's just incredible to me, the, the, the travesty of that. And, and I think it's a turning point in history. I really feel like that it's, it's huge, huge in terms of the earth, if you will, or mankind. Anyway, <clears throat> David was a man after God's own heart, and you read the Psalms, and you see this sweetheart of a guy reading these Psalms. And then you, you look at this warrior that goes out and does genocide. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and, 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 and be reminded that God wouldn't let him build the temple because he was a man of blood. Same man. But he was a man after God's own heart. You with me? So, so I, when I, was pre- I preached just from my heart, and I said, you know, I get the warrior part. I mean, I was a military man. I get the warrior part. But that loving your enemy thing, that's a little harder. <laughs> that I'm struggling with. Right after 9/11, you know, in, in, in just the, the weeks after and months, uh, you know, I, I made the comment: you line up 100 terrorists, known terrorists, absolutely uh, proven terrorists, and I believe I could cut them right down. I could shoot them right down. I could, you know. And that boy, the people were offended. Oh my goodness, that was ill-advised. I was preaching in a Methodist church. <laughs> <laughs> They never invited me to speak again. (laughs) (laughs) It was in my hometown. (laughs) Back in Maryland. (laughs) Yeah, this young lady came up to me afterward, a college girl, and she's as sweet as she could be, but what she lectured me and said, you have a lot of influence. You you shouldn't talk like that. That's terrible, you know. And for her liberal mind of, of you know perspective, that the, the idea of that is just absolutely repulsive. Does your heart? <laughs> just give me honor to them. <laughs> you know, I have a son. <clears throat> I have we have seven children, by the way. And uh, one of my sons was in the Marine Corps for eight years. A pilot. He flies helicopters out to the oil rigs in the Gulf. You know, great big ones. One's it's a course case like the president's. Helicopter, like 25 passenger, and Ryan, he's a captain in the Marine Corps, but uh, he um, he he's closed mouth. He should have been a spy. You cannot get him to talk about anything. You can't get him to talk about close calls when he's flying. You can't get him to talk about combat. He was in Afghanistan one tour and twice in Iraq. You can't get him to talk about anything. It's his nature. And I have a daughter that's the same way. She's a veterinarian up in Kansas, Kansas City. And we joke about it and say the two of them on the telephone is a hoot because it's the quietest telephone conversation you ever heard. <laughs> You're the one on the talk. They just, you know, just wait for the other one, and they're perfectly comfortable. Now, I'm not that way. What I mean to say is this. When it's quiet, I feel like i got to say something, you know. i gotta got to think of something to carry this conversation with, but it doesn't bother them. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, but I think it's extremely advisable, quite frankly, to be able to not talk and be comfortable with it. You know what I'm saying? Because many times it's appropriate to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> um, uh, Abraham Lincoln is, is, uh, is quoted. I have a, a plaque in my office that says, Why be silent and thought a fool when you can speak up and remove all doubt? 
It actually comes from Proverbs, but Abraham Lincoln, it says it a little differently. But, but Solomon said it, and, and, and just think of it. Why be silent and be thought to be a fool when you can speak up and remove all doubt? <laughs> so many times it's so much more appropriate to just keep, if we just keep our mouths shut. Uh, okay, now this is what I wanted to do in conclusion. I told you that, that uh, you know, this is a passion of mine. I have a, a category in my uh, iPod here that I call words, okay? That means that over the years, I have dates on uh, things that God has shown me that I believe that he's spoken to me and wants to bring to my immediate, you know, attention. And and it so happens I have about ten verses I want to run through with you. Uh, if you want to write them down, I welcome you too, but we won't have time to look them up. I'm just going to read them to you, okay? But this is a collection of verses the Lord has, and I didn't do it for tonight. You see, I just went to my words, and here they are that the Lord had, had given to me. And I said, you know, this is my passion. I'll start with Proverbs 29:11. A fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in till afterwards. Proverbs 12:23. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. You with me? Ecclesiastes 3:7. There is a time to keep silent and a time to speak. Proverbs 12:16. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Ecclesiastes 7.8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Proverbs 14.29. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. James 1.19. Wherefore, my beloved Beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's the word of God, folks. James 10:19. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 4:24 and 25. Let me find it here. Proverbs 4, 24 and 25. Remove perverse speech from your mouth. Keep devious talk far from your lips. Verse 25. Let your eyes look directly in front of you and let your gaze look straight before you. Proverbs 11:12. The one who denounces his neighbor lacks wisdom, but the one who has discernment keeps silent. Proverbs 18:23. A poor person makes supplications, but a rich man answers Harshly. Ecclesiastes 10.4. Forgive me for rushing through these, but you can go back if you wish, if you just write them down. Ecclesiastes 10.4. If the anger of the ruler flares up against you, do not resign from your position, for a calm response can undo great offenses. Hmm? The tongue. And then finally, James 1.26. That one's for us there. Oh, no, that's not it. James 1. There it is. If someone thinks he is religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, and so deceives his heart, his religion is futile. How's that for a closing verse? Shall I read it again? If someone thinks he is religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, and so deceives his heart, his religion is futile. Uh, 
This is a quote from a movie. Um, we bought a zoo. It's a film. Talking is easy. Listening is the biggest part of talking. <laughs> That's a real lesson to me. I, I wrote that one down. Hear that? Talking is easy. Listening is the biggest part of talking. And then Tom Clancy. You know who Tom Clancy is? Mm-hmm. A closed mouth gathers no foot. All right. I'm finished. Uh, hold on, Bob. Yep, yep. Awesome. Good job. Thank you. Thank you for your transparency and your brutal honesty and your wisdom. And I just, it's like if Jay Burning McGee got the Holy Ghost. Does anybody have any questions? Oh, yeah. Or, awesome. or comments? I love the fact you gave us the remedy. What's the remedy to the tongue problem? Uh, oh, it's it's walking with God and being yeah. constant, constant connection. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think verse 17 points to that. Wisdom mm-hmm. coming from above. Right. It's peaceable, gentle. It's mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. good. Like Christ said, it's not what comes into the body that defiles it, but what comes out, out which yeah. is a picture exactly. of your heart. Probably should have clued that. Yeah. I had it here, no, I don't even see it. I thought I had it here. Um, oh, yeah, Romans 8, 5 through 6 refers specifically to death to the flesh and life in the spirit. Mm-hmm. That is the ultimate solution and remedy, is walking in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. You understand that? Uh, uh, it's like Jesus don't talk no junk. You know? <laughs> he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't talk any trash. And we won't either if we're in the spirit. Okay? In the flesh, all, all sets are off. So let's crucify our flesh and let it die on the cross like Jesus. I, I, I missed that. Yeah. Good. Good. Let's see if any callers have any questions okay. or comments. Good evening. Hey, who do we got? It's Hal. Hey, Hal, you have any questions or comments? Well, I just it seems apparent that the uh, tongue should never see any sunlight, huh? <laughs> yeah, I've heard it called the little red devil that lives behind the pearly white gates. <laughs> That's good. Anything else? Well, I just I just really want to thank everybody for coming together like this and having this conference call like this has been a big help for me because I just I have an active time right now and I'm just not able to get where I need to be, but it allows me to participate. So thank you, Pastor Allen, for thinking about this. Uh, I've um, I've learned of other churches are doing this. Uh, many of them are using Skype, and I wanted to do this because some of the guys don't have computers, and some guys don't need to have computers. Uh, but the churches that are using Skype call this discipleship. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Anyway. Yeah, it was very good. Thank you.